Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I'd like you not to. You could say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. You'd be like, easy, freak. I keep work at work. I have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. It's ridiculous. Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to Beacon. I'm glad you guys are here for Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday. It's our, our first time doing it, and it looks like a number of you are participating. If you're wearing an ugly sweater, can you just stand so that everybody can just stare at your amazing, ugly glory? <clears throat> Give them a round of applause. Some creativity. You guys look fantastic. <laughs> you take a seat. Uh, now, did anybody notice Robert in the back? Robert, he actually covered up when he came up on stage his ugly Christmas sweater shirt thing, which is ugly. Uh, <laughs> weak. Uh, so if we haven't met before, my name's Trevor. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Beacon, and uh, I'm really glad you're here. As we continue in our series, we are calling Christmas Unwrapped. And there's a, a single big idea behind this series. It's very simple. It's this idea that each of us has been blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. And it's, it's really taken this idea that, that Jesus is this amazing gift that we, he, that we have received. And, and it's something that we want to share, that we want to pass on to other people. Not to be confused with re-gifting. We aren't re-gifting Jesus. It's not like we open him up and we're like, oh, you got me a savior. Awesome. Oh, he's Middle Eastern. Man, I was really hoping for something that looked more like me. Oh, no return. All right, I'll just give them to somebody you want. Uh, no, we aren't re-gifting Jesus. We, we are saying, you know, if Jesus really is this incredible gift, and that's something we're going to want to share with other people. And you know, I, I understand that we don't always feel that way. Like, I was, I was sick this week, and when I get sick, I turn into a big baby. Uh, and all I want to do is just, like, curl up in a fetal position and binge watch Netflix. And I, I just kind of, like, got to the depths of self-absorption and, you know, self-indulgence. And th that means, like, my devotional life was shot. And, like, I, in, in those moments, I was not feeling like, oh, Jesus is this amazing gift. Like, I, I, I lost sight of that. And that I don't need to be sick for that to happen. That happens happens. But, but when we pause and we just think for a minute, like if, if it's really true, if it's really true that God, creator of the universe, sent his son to die for us so that we can have a seat at the table, if Jesus, the son of God, walked away from heaven 
and actually volunteered, allow, voluntarily allowed himself to be rejected by the Father so that we would be accepted by the Father, so that we'd have access to God. That's incredible. Like, if that's really true, if we just pause for a moment to think about that, if that's really true, nobody needs to tell us that we need to tell anybody else. That we'll be compelled. It's such an amazing gift. The problem, of course, is most people want nothing to do with the gift, right? As Mr. Gaffigan so humorously pointed out to us, if you come up to somebody and be like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, they will kindly say, no, thank you. Because <laughs> it's awkward, right? People don't want to hear about this amazing gift that we have, no matter how amazing it might seem to us. And that's kind of funny to me because... When Jesus was, was traipsing around on earth, he was really popular. Like, f- people crowded around him. Thousands and thousands of people wanted to be around Jesus. And, and he didn't make it easy. It wasn't like he was giving these, like, crowd-pleasing messages. You know, Jesus taught hard things, like, like love your enemy. He taught hard things like, like, hey, you know, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Like, this is not like some Oprah or, or uh, you know, Joel Osteen, like, make me feel good sort of teaching. Like, he taught really difficult stuff. He said, like, hey, you know who's blessed in my kingdom is, like, the poor and the persecuted. He, he didn't soft pedal anything. Not only that, Jesus was, like, intentionally uh, confusing. Like, he talked in parables all the time. And when he was asked about it, he actually went on record saying, oh, one of the reasons I talk in parables is because I don't want everybody to understand me. Like, really? That's how you draw a crowd? Is to to confuse people? Or or one of my favorite things is at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, he kind of boils down all of Jesus' teaching ministry to this this one idea. Uh, In Matthew 4, uh, 17, he says, uh, Jesus went proclaiming this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is kind of all of the message of Jesus boiled down to this, this one phrase, which is eerily similar to this guy's message. You guys know this guy. This is the crazy guy on the street corner who's saying the same thing. Repent, you know, that the time is near. And yet, you know, we will cross the street to avoid this guy. And people were flocking to Jesus. So what gives? What's, what's the difference? And, and it's not hard to see. Jesus cared for people. Jesus loved people. It wasn't just that, that Jesus had a, a message, but he came with this, this method of, of love and care and service. There's this great quote. Uh, uh, a lot of people attribute it to Teddy Roosevelt. It might even predate him, but it says, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And this seems to, to be a sentiment that Jesus agreed with and, and he understood that, you know, people don't want to hear what you have to say if they don't know that, that you care about them. You know, you can come and you can have your, your Romans road and your four circles and your, you know, whole message that you want to share with them. And you're answering one question when they're still asking this other question of, can I trust you? But Jesus, he, he had a, a different method. And if we divorce the, the message of Jesus from the method of Jesus, we can't expect the same results that Jesus got. And so what we're going to look at today is the method 
that Jesus used? How is it that Jesus came in and did this work when he was here on earth? And so if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. This is a story that many of you uh, will probably be familiar with. It's a very popular one. It's a story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people in this miraculous way. And it's a, a unique story in that this is one of the stories that is picked up in all four of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about this story and recount what, what took place. And, and perhaps it's one of the largest audience that Jesus spoke to. It's over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children that were there. So thousands of people gathered around. It might be one of the largest audiences that Jesus ever got to speak to. And, and does anybody remember what Jesus said? Anybody kind of just remember offhand the, the message that Jesus gave uh, to this, this super large crowd? No? Nobody? Oh, that's right, because it's actually not recorded. <laughs> uh, it, it's strange because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this story, but nobody talks about what Jesus said. They all talk about what Jesus did. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what Jesus did to learn the, the method that he used when he was actually trying to communicate his message. So we're in, beginning in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's a, an amazing story where 5,000 men and then the women and children are all fed from five loaves and two fishes. And what I want to really hone in on is actually verse 14. It's before the miracle ever happened. It's when Jesus steps onto the shore and we get to see three things, three integral pieces of the method of Jesus. It says when Jesus landed it says he first, he saw a large crowd. Second, he had compassion on them. And third, he healed their sick. So the first thing he did, he, he saw the large crowd. He saw them. And it wasn't just that he noticed them like out of the corner of his eye. He looked and he saw and he observed what was going on. And, and you guys know how easy it is to even be in the middle of a crowd and see nobody. Right? This is like rule number one of walking down the sidewalk in New York City. Don't make eye contact. Like you have to, like if you look at anybody, you're going to bump into people. Like you have to learn how to look past people. We're, we're conditioned to do this. So much so that like it's actually become awkward when you accidentally make eye contact with somebody. You know what that's like, right? When you, you, you know, it's a perfect stranger. You guys make eye contact and like you have like two options. You can either like dart your eyes and pretend it never happened or, or you do like the awkward like half smile, head nod thing. Like you guys know what's going on. It's like, 
Yeah, you know, but it's just it's just this whole bowl of awkward taking place there. And and if in case you're you know not sure how awkward it is, just as a you know an example, I'm going to uh, deliver the rest of this message by not breaking eye contact with Marie. So. Congratulations. We're just going to make eye contact now. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's incredibly awkward to just like be caught in that place. And so we've been conditioned to avoid it. We, we've been taught that we can actually look past people. But that's not what Jesus does. He actually, he sees them. And we know that it's more than just uh, that he noticed them. Because in, in Mark's account of the gospel, Jesus is able to assess the condition that they're in. It says that he, he saw them and he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. It was like this observation that he was able to make. This takes time. This takes intentionality to actually look, to ask questions. What's going on here? And he, he was observing the state that they were in. And the, the, the timing for it is, uh, I, I find really interesting because Jesus had every excuse not to see them because uh, Jesus had his own stuff going on. At the, the beginning of the passage, it says that, Jesus intentionally withdrew to a quiet place uh, because right before this, if you read what happened right before this, John the Baptist, who happened to be Jesus' cousin, who happened to be somebody that Jesus loved and cared about, John the Baptist was just killed. He was just beheaded, uh, basically for like entertainment. (laughs) And so Jesus is actually like feeling this himself. And so he intentionally goes to be alone, to withdraw, go to a quiet place. Like this is like the time when he gets off the boat there. He could say, hey guys, you know, I'm just putting the oxygen mask on myself right now. I'll get to you guys in a little bit. But it's in the midst of this, in the midst of his own stuff that Jesus sees them. He looks and he observes what's going on. He cares what's going on. He saw them. Secondly, he says he has compassion. And this is a really strong word. Uh, the word that, that's used here for compassion, it's not, it's not just that he had some like warm, fuzzy feelings. It, it's like this, this gut feeling. Uh, you know when you, you experience something that's like kind of traumatic and it just like, it, it takes your breath away? Like you feel it physically. It's an emotional experience, but you have this like physical reaction. Like you, you just like, there's this weight on your chest and this knot in your stomach. This is the, the kind of sentiment that this word for compassion is, is using, that Jesus is, is deeply moved and he's, he's feeling something when he sees the condition that they're in. And, and I just want to take a second to talk about two things that Jesus isn't feeling because it's easy to, to confuse these things. First off, Jesus isn't feeling guilty. He's not feeling guilty. It's not like he and the disciples, you know, rowed ashore and he got out, on the, uh, out of the boat and Sally Struthers was there and there was a Sarah McLaughlin song on in the background and, you know, people were holding puppies. Uh, no, he, he wasn't like feeling guilty. He wasn't doing this out of a, a sense of obligation. It wasn't like he was trying to, you know, make himself not feel guilty. The, the second thing he wasn't feeling, it wasn't excitement. And let me explain what I mean. So uh, a couple years ago, I I realized that me personally, I I don't do a good job of seeing people in need, especially, uh, where I just go through my day and I I kind of like have these blinders on and I wasn't doing much in my day-to-day activity to care for people in need. And so as a a reminder, as just like a a discipline for myself, I added a a task to my task list and it's a recurring task. So it shows up every single day and it asks me, who did I love and how did I love them? 
Like, who did I love? How do I love them? And, uh, you know, as you'd imagine, most days I don't get to check that off. Uh, most days, you know, it comes and goes, and I'm like, ah, oh, I missed it. But every so often, I'll come to somebody who's, like, in need, and I'm uniquely equipped to actually serve that need, and I actually get a, a sense of excitement where I'm like, oh, I'm going to actually get to do this. Like, I'm going to get to check off the box. And, and not that, that that's bad, but in, in some ways, what I start to do is I, I actually – co-opt their, their pain for my joy. <laughs> and and their, their pain and their struggle is something that I'm delighting in because it gives me the opportunity to do my thing, to come in and be the savior. And it's, it's exciting and, uh, and it's very twisted, but, but this happens so easily where, where other people's pain, other people's struggle even when we're trying to do something good, all of a sudden it becomes about us again. Like, look what I get to do rather than what Jesus did. Jesus, he said he had compassion. Jesus was actually feeling their pain. It wasn't that he was feeling excited about himself. He wasn't feeling guilty about himself. He was feeling their pain. He was empathizing. This idea of, of actually trying to understand what it is that they are emotionally experiencing in the state that they're currently in. Jesus empathized with them. And the, the third thing that Jesus did here is he then healed them. He then actually acted. He served them in a meaningful way. And uh, this is, you know, it might seem like a no-brainer, but this is where the disciples, if you continue reading the passage, this is where the disciples stopped, right? So, you know, the the disciples start to get this. They start to realize, oh, we need to like care about other people. We need to be looking you know, out for other people, what's going on. So Jesus is teaching, it's getting late in the day, and the disciples notice these people are hungry, all right? They observe that these people are hungry. And they say, you know, we're getting hungry too. We feel their pain. We understand this is an issue. And what do they say to Jesus? They say, Jesus, we should send them out so they can help themselves. But Jesus Jesus turns around and says, no, no, you help them. You help them. See, this is where the, the disciples fell short is they, they observed, they, they had the compassion, but they, they didn't follow through with the service. And I know for me, this is, uh, this is huge. Like I, I often have these good intentions. Like I feel for people, I see the need. I'm like, oh man, I wish I could help or you know, I wish I could do something for them. But I end up doing nothing. And this is what the disciples did. And Jesus said, no, no, do something. And they're like, what are we going to do? We have five loaves of bread, two fish. What are we going to do with that? There's 5,000 people here. And Jesus says, do something. And they do. They do something small. And Jesus does something huge. I think very often God is waiting for us to act with whatever we have, even if you know, we're paralyzed because it just seems like it's too big, saying just do something. I'm not saying that God's always going to come in and you know, save the day and feed 5,000, but sometimes, sometimes he might. Sometimes maybe he is waiting for us to do something. But even that, even that's not the point. It's not that we do this so that we can experience the miracle. We do this because we care about the people. Jesus didn't do it for the sake of the miracle. He did it for the sake of the people who were in need because he observed where they were and he felt their pain and then he served them in meaningful ways. And this, this method that Jesus uses to feed the 5,000 and to care for these people is the same method 
that he used to save me and he used to save you. This is his method. Where, where Jesus was in heaven, he was looking down and, and he had no reason to look at us. He, he didn't need us. He didn't need to even be bothered with us, but he, he saw us. He saw us in the state that we were in and he decided to actually feel our pain, to take up our suffering, to take up this burden, to not say, you know, that's your problem. I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. He actually came and he felt our pain and then he served us. And this is summed up so well. You know, Jesus, he did a lot of things. He did miracles, he did teaching. But in, in Matthew 20, Jesus says the, the purpose that he came, he said the son of man, and he's referring to himself, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, his whole mission, it was, it was centered around this idea of selfless service to other people. And so we, we have this, this mission now of embodying Jesus to go out and, and take up the same message, but with the same method that Jesus used. And, and that brings us to the, the Christmas Unwrapped Challenge. Who here has uh, been participating in the, the Christmas Unwrapped Challenge? Any, anybody uh, who's actually sent emails out to christmasunwrapped at beaconchurchonline.com? All right, so one of you is starting to get your ornament together. Uh, the rest of you, don't forget, if you are participating, send those stories, send those pictures. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, every year Beacon, uh, we, we give out an ornament in the first Sunday of December, kind of marking our anniversary as a church. And this year, the ornament uh, it has different components. And there are challenges each week. And if you complete those challenges, uh, you get the different components to your ornament. And the first week, we, we had a, a list of people. You, you actually, we did it right here in the service where you could write out a list of names, people that you are praying for, intentionally praying for, people who might not know the love of Jesus that we can intentionally be praying for. Uh, and so that one went right in. That was like a freebie. Uh, but then last week, Robert talked about this idea of eating with people where we invite them in uh, to share a meal with us or maybe we meet up with them to grab a bite to eat or throw a Matthew party. Uh, did anybody do a Matthew party this week? I heard of a, a few going on throughout the church, but I, none of them in the 12 o'clock service, apparently. All right. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, again, go back, watch last week's message, hear about the Matthew party. Um, it's a, a great way to just bond with people, connect with them. Today, we have our next two challenges for the Christmas Unwrapped Challenge. Uh, and, and the first one is to listen to listen. See, when, when Jesus came on shore, he was able to see, he was able to observe the state that people were in, uh, but he also had like this supernatural ability to just kind of like see into people's like hearts and to understand what was going on. Uh, I don't have that ability. I don't know about you. Uh, for the rest of us, if we're going to kind of observe what's going on in people's lives and what they're feeling, we're going to have to talk to them, but more importantly, we're going to have to listen and listen well to be able to hear what it is that they're, they're feeling, what it is that they're passionate about, what it is that they're struggling with, uh, so that we can, we can serve them well. And so here I want to give you just seven quick suggestions for listening well. Uh, a lot of these I uh, appropriated from a, a woman named Celeste Headley. She uh, has an awesome TED Talk. Uh, if you want to Google it and watch it, it's like 15 minutes, and it's great. It's all about, like, how to carry good conversations, and it's, I think... Any adult should watch it. Um, so she, I, I stole some of these from her, but the first one is super obvious. Talk less, right? You want to listen well, talk 
less. It's hard to listen and have your mouth open at the same time, which is ironic because I've just been talking at you for like 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but talk less. Give other people. Let them talk. Let them do the talking. Uh, number two, ask open-ended questions. So, uh, you know, express an interest, ask questions, but not just, you know, where you're going to get a yes or no answer or one word answer, but questions that require like an explanation or require some, some detail on their part. Number three, ask clarifying questions. So, you know, if somebody says, hey, uh, you know, oh, I'm having a hard time at work, you know, we might want to just say, oh, I'm really sorry that's going on. Uh, instead, ask more questions. Uh, try to get a bigger picture, a clearer picture of what's going on. Oh, I'm sorry, what, what's going on? Uh, you having a difficulty with it, you know, like try to figure out uh, more of the, the details of their situation so you can understand what they're going through, but also how they're feeling about all of these things. Number four, repeat what you hear. Uh, so this is a, a helpful thing. If anybody ever play the game telephone where you like, you kind of pass a phrase down to different people and it, it's amazing. You say one thing and somebody else hears something completely different. And, uh, by repeating back, this is just a way to make sure that you are hearing what they intend to communicate. Uh, so we don't want to be like awkward or robotic about it, <laughs> but if somebody's just saying something to us, just be like, oh, oh, so let me just, so I'm understanding correctly. You, you, this happened and this happened. And now that you're feeling this, just to, to clarify to make sure you're understanding what they're saying. Uh, number five, don't jump to solutions. All right, men, this is, this is particularly uh, an important one for us because we want to fix things. You know, we hear a problem and our immediate thought is, oh, like, this is how we fix it. Uh, but sometimes we can jump in so quickly that we haven't even heard the real problem yet. So rather than just jumping to solutions, giving time to, to talk, ask those clarifying questions, try to you know, figure out what's going on. And you know, when people ask our opinion, then maybe we can, we can give it then. But, uh, but instead of just jumping to that solution, really trying to think through, this is funny, uh, I'm watching a couple here get the stare down. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, rather than jumping to solutions, listening. Asking those clarifying questions. Number six, don't multitask, uh, which really means put away the phone. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I get it. Like, you can, I think it is possible for people to uh, be listening and really be processing what's going on and be, you know, on their phone. However, it communicates that you're, you're not interested, you're not caring. And so even if you are one of those few people that can multitask, try not to. Try to give them their, your undivided attention uh, so that they understand that you're valuing what they're saying. Number seven, this is the, the most important one, care. Care. Care about them. Care about what they're saying. And, and even more importantly, care about what they care about. Uh, you know, like if they're interested in something, take an interest in it. Because if you are, it kind of helps the rest of these things fall into place. If you're interested in what they're saying, you'll actually kind of hang on every word because it, 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 it interests you. You want to know more. And so trying to develop a, a sincere and genuine interest in them by being interested in what they're interested in. So we listen. And we listen intently and intentionally. And then the second part of today's challenge is to serve. Jesus, he observed what was going on. He felt their pain, but then he served them. But we have to listen first. We have to listen first. And, and it, it, it 
it's obvious, you know, especially this time of year, it's pretty obvious why it's important to listen before serving. Because a week from now, it's going to be Christmas Day, and you're going to be sitting in front of a tree, and there's going to be a, a group of people around you, and you're going to be doing everything you can to convince the people that are looking at you that you are genuinely excited about what you just opened. <laughs> And you're going to be looking at it and be like, oh, this is what I always wanted. But in your mind, you're going to be like, do you know me at all? Like, why would I ever? Uh, because if we serve before we listen, we can kind of assume what people need or what people want. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to bake them cookies. Oh, it turns out they're gluten intolerant. Uh, uh, and, and so we, when we take the time to listen, we can actually serve them according to their actual needs and desires and actually serve in a way that connects with their heart. And it doesn't need to be something huge. It doesn't need to be this like big thing. Like you don't need to find them a job or a place to live. Like it could be something like that. But even a, a few months ago, there's a, a cafe that I go to every day. And there's a woman uh, who works at the cafe and she's uh, one of the people that I have been praying for uh, intentionally. And she, uh, a few months ago, had this stone. She was showing it to me, and it was a little stone, and it said gratitude on it. She was saying, oh, you know, like, a friend gave this to me, and I keep it on me just to remind me to be grateful for what I have. And I'm like, oh, that, that's cool. And I, I came in the next day, and uh, she's like, oh, you won't believe it. Yesterday after I was showing, I was showing you somebody else, and it fell, and it shattered on the ground. And she was like, she was so disappointed that it broke. And I, I could see that. And I had, I, because I had been listening, I knew that it was something that was significant to her. And so it was just automatic. When she went away, I pulled out my phone. I went on Amazon. And for like $5 and two days later, I had a little stone that said gratitude. And it looked exactly like the one that she had. And, and it was such a, a small thing. But then I was able to give it to her. And for her, like, tears were welling up in her eyes. She was so moved by what just took place. And it was something so small. But when the service connects with the listening, it can be really powerful. People start to understand that they're not a project. They understand that you, you sincerely do care about them. And if you care about them, and they know that, they'll be more interested in what, what you have to say. They'll care more about what you know and, and they don't. See, when, when we do this, when we are listening and serving, we start to put flesh to the gospel. The, the miracle of Christmas is the incarnation. Uh, and incarnation, that's just a, a fancy way of saying putting flesh on something. So on that, that first Christmas day was the incarnation when God became a human being and put on flesh. And there's uh, this, this teacher, Howard Hendricks, uh, he says it so beautifully. He begins by quoting the Gospel of John. He says, in the beginning was the Lagos, the word. And the Lagos became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, full of grace and truth. When God wanted to communicate with us, he wrapped his message in a person. That is exactly what we are called to do. See, before this, God, God had a message. You know, he sent it through prophets. He, you know, they had the scriptures. They had it written down and everything like that. But when God really wanted to get to the core of the gospel, he sent a person. Because it, it, you, can, you can get a message across through a megaphone, but you can't get... This, this interaction, this love, this, this service, and this listening, you can't get that through a megaphone. That takes a person. 
And when we go out and we are, we are listening and we are serving, we are actually, we are doing incarnation. We are putting flesh to the gospel. And, and instead of just celebrating Christmas, we actually get to do Christmas. <laughs> this is what Christmas is all about. It's all about the incarnation. We get to go out and we get to do Christmas by putting flesh to the, the gospel. By not just bringing the message of Christ, but bringing it with the method that Jesus used. You know, there's a, a lot of talk about this idea of keeping Christ in Christmas, right? You guys hear this around. But the idea of keeping Christ in Christmas, it's not, it's not about a bumper sticker or department store campaigns or Starbucks cups. Uh, keeping Christ in Christmas, the way we keep Christ in Christmas, is by being Christ to other people, by embodying him. The Bible says that we, as the followers of Christ, we as the church, we're the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so we get to go out and we get to put flesh, put flesh to the gospel when we are listening and we are serving. And so we encourage you guys to take up this challenge and we'll give you the, the different parts of the ornament, but we don't want you to do it for that. We want you to do this so that you can, you can do Christmas this season that you can, you can put flesh to the gospel. Let me pray for you. Father, we, uh, we're just so humbled and we're so grateful that you would see us in our moment of need, that you'd, you'd care for us and you'd, you'd actually take up our pain and our suffering, that you would feel it yourself, that you would serve us according to those needs and, and love us so well. And we just pray that, uh, that your love for us will compel us to go and love others, to, to listen, to serve, to care, so that we can, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can do Christmas this season. Father, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.